Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Texas Ag Today for Wednesday, September 16th of 2020. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Scouting for fall armyworms. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. The dog days of summer are still barking loudly in extreme South Texas. We'll have those stories and more in today's report. Farmers can update their yields for the price loss coverage program this month. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have more coming up. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, our daily wildlife report, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's a look at news headlines. Timing and attention to detail may make a lot of difference on the ledger for panhandle farmers getting ready to wrap up this very trying season. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. Corn is typically the first crop to be harvested in the panhandle each year, and Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says executing the right fundamentals can help farmers avoid discounts at the grain elevator. Paying attention to grain moisture and, and paying attention to just the condition of the grain, making sure combines are set properly to minimize broken kernels and, and really try to maximize literally every cent they can get. Sorghum growers have similar steps to take in preparing for their harvest. And for cotton, with all the hardships that crop has faced this season, Dr. Bell says don't risk any more by letting it stay in the field too long. The longer the crop is left in the field after the bowls have opened, we expose that lint to weather and when we look at the discounts that are associated with that and the decreased loan value, that can really negatively impact the return for the farmers. In Amarillo, I'm James Hunt for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas has the worst cotton crop in the nation. USDA released its latest crop progress and condition report on Monday, and it shows Texas with the lowest crop ratings in the United States. Here's how the Texas cotton crop condition ratings stack up. 6% of the cotton rated excellent, 24% rated good, 28% of the crop in the fair category, and 42% of the Texas cotton crop rated poor to very poor. 13% of the cotton now harvested, 45% of the crop has open bowls. It's the time of year that army worms march across Texas. Tom Nicoletti has some tips on scouting your pastures for these annual pests. My guest today is Dr. Vanessa Olson. She is with a Texas AgriLife Extension Service in Overton. She is a forward specialist and joining us today to talk about the fact that, uh, Vanessa, there's been uh, several inches of rain that East Texas and Central Texas uh, here in the last few weeks. And what that means uh, for producers, agricultural producers, is that uh, now they need to uh, start looking for armyworms in their pastures and hayfields. Talk about uh, that challenge. Absolutely. Unfortunately, fall armyworm infestations often develop after rain has occurred, especially if we have been dry for a period of time, which has been 
you know, our mode of operation this summer, we've been very hot and dry. And once we get any kind of moisture, especially mid to late summer into the fall, that really promotes egg populations and those larva populations of the fall armyworm. So my recommendation is anytime in Central East Texas, we have been dry and we get any considerable rainfall, that we need to scout our pastures and our hay meadows vigorously looking for any fall armyworms because they can be damaging very quickly. Um, They're called armyworms because they will literally march across the field and can decimate it basically overnight. They do prefer cooler temperatures and moisture, so they are primarily night feeders. So it is important that we scout, especially early in the morning when we still have some dew on the grass. That is a good time that we would likely pick up any armyworms on our equipment or on our shoes if we did, in fact, have those populations. What type of damage uh, should uh, producers be looking for? So looking for damage is a little tricky. The small larvae do not chew all the way through the leaf. They will only eat the green material. So if you picked up a leaf and you held it up and it had what appeared almost like a window pane, that is an indication of armyworm damage. As those larvae get larger, they will actually chew through the entire leaf. It's much easier to actually look for the larva, to scout for the larva as opposed to the damage. So walking through those fields will, when they are potentially still eating, when we have cloud cover or there's dew on the ground, they'll actually, we'll actually pick those larvae up on our shoes or even on our equipment. Um, the next, you know, a lot of people ask about, well, how many army worms at what point do I need to actually treat? Well, it'll depend on the value of your forage. If you are anticipating another hay cutting, then obviously that forage has value to you. And the recommendation is if you have three or more fall armyworms per square foot, that is what we would consider the economic threshold, the point of which where it is economical to treat to reduce the further damage of your of your forage. They are very small. They, As a full-grown larva, they get up to about an inch and a half. When they first hatch, they're less than about a quarter of an inch, so they're very tiny. So even in a square foot, you can have, you know, a lot of fall armyworms. That advice about fall armyworms coming to us today from Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas AgriLife Extension Service in Overton. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The dog days of summer are still barking very loudly in South Texas. Jim Hearn reports from the Rio Grande Valley. The weather has turned hot and hotter for extreme South Texas. Overnight lows have only dropped to some 85 degrees, something we have not seen here in the valley in a century. Daytime heat indexes have averaged 114 to 120 across the valley, and the heat has been relentless. Irrigation crews are working overtime again. As soon as they finish one round, it's time to start again. Growers are trying to keep citrus irrigated because growth of the fruit has slowed tremendously under the extreme heat. Because Hurricane Hannah blew so much fruit off the trees, growers need to protect what's left for any chance to have a profitable year. Another skirmish is brewing along the Rio Grande. Mexico, under the 1944 Water Treaty between the U.S. and Mexico, has yet to deliver its full amount of water for this five-year cycle. Now, the current cycle will be ending in late October, 
and Mexico still owes the U.S. over 350,000 acre-feet of water. Angry Mexican farmers have tried to take over several dams along the Rio Conchos. Mexican farmers say they need the water for their crops and do not send any to the United States. Well, since 2018, Mexico has not met its obligation to share water with the U.S. and could very easily not send its allotment for this current water cycle, and it ends in less than two months. Negotiations are taking place between the International Boundary and Water Commission and Mexican officials. We'll keep you updated. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Farmers have the chance to update yields for the price loss coverage program this month. Jessica Domel has more. U.S. farmers have a one-time opportunity to update their price loss coverage program yields for covered commodities this month. The reported yields, whether or not they're updated this month by farmers, will be used to calculate PLC program payments for 2020 through 2023. This is the first time that farmers have had the opportunity to update their yields since 2014. The decision to update crop yields is up to the farm owner. At least one owner's signature is required on the form, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Farmers have until September 30th to update their yields. Farmers who enrolled in the agriculture risk coverage through the Farm Bill can also update their yields at this time at their local Farm Service Agency office. Additional details are available at farmers.gov. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Should plant and nut-based beverages be labeled as milk? It's a controversial issue that's being debated by the Food and Drug Administration. Gary Joyner takes a closer look from Waco. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has a decision to make on milk labels. The agency has wrestled with the issue for more than a year. The question is how to handle the labeling of plant-based products as dairy products or plant-based beverages as milk. Dairy farmers say the resolution is clear. Products should be labeled as milk only if they are derived from a lactating animal. The mislabeling of nut and plant-based beverages as milk can also confuse consumers from a nutritional equivalency standpoint. For example, one serving of traditional milk contains 8 grams of protein, while many nut and plant-based beverages have a lower protein content. A survey found that 53% of respondents stated they believed plant-based food manufacturers label their products milk because their nutritional value is similar, although it is not. There's no question consumers have a right to dairy-free products from an allergy, intolerance, or personal dietary preference perspective, but potential consumer confusion must be addressed. Nut and plant-based beverages are marketed as milk and sold in the milk case right alongside traditional milk. FDA already has rules and a clear process for handling this issue. If the modified food is nutritionally inferior, it must bear the word imitation. Even if the food is not nutritionally inferior, it must bear either the word substitute or alternative or another appropriate term. These terms give consumers the information they need while maintaining nutrition and labeling integrity. I'm Gary Joyner, and this is your Texas Agriculture Minute. What impacts will Hurricane Sally have on agriculture in the southeastern part of the country? Stephanie Ho reports from Washington. How is Hurricane Sally likely to impact agriculture? The good news from an agricultural standpoint is that the two major crop production areas across the southeast 
should be spared largely by Sally. That was USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. One of those areas being the Mississippi Delta, and with the system taking a more of an eastward turn, that should spare crops like cotton and rice in the Mississippi Delta. And perhaps just as importantly, it looks like it'll spare New Orleans a direct hit. So uh, good news for that city. He also notes that another major production area is also likely to be spared a direct hit. Most of the impacts staying west and south of the Atlantic Coastal Plain production areas where you have a number of crops that include cotton, peanuts, and soybeans, just to name a few. We may see some heavy rain, though, reaching into that region later in the week. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. A Texas quail translocation project is having good success in its second year. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And you can buy grain-free dog food in lots of places, but it's not a good idea to feed it to your dog. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd will tell us why coming up next on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Grain-free dog food can be bought just about anywhere, but it's not a good idea to feed it to your dog, especially if you have a larger dog. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells why. Grain-free foods have been around for several years, and over the past two years, cardiologists have found this food can lead to heart disease in large breed dogs. However, a paper was recently published in the Journal of Animal Science that was a review of 150 studies indicating there is no link between grain-free diets and heart disease. After this paper was published, many veterinarians have stated that the paper was actually not an analysis but a review of other papers, and the authors cherry-picked their research articles to try and prove that heart disease and grain-free diets are not linked. There is a large amount of evidence proving that grain-free diets have caused heart disease in dogs and that stopping the grain-free foods have reversed the disease in many cases. And although the authors of the study indicated they have no conflict of interest, the authors actually work for a company, which is a food consulting company, that works with a brand of dog food that is implicated to cause heart disease. In dilated cardiomyopathy, the heart becomes weak and cannot pump blood efficiently, which leads these dogs to tire quickly, collapse, faint, and the condition is occurring in dogs that do not normally develop cardiomyopathy. Although the syndrome is inherited in Dobermans, Great Danes, Irish Wolfhounds, and Cocker Spaniels, we are now seeing cases in other breeds due to grain-free food. So if you're feeding your dog grain-free food, regardless of the sales propaganda at the pet stores, consider changing foods and ask your veterinarian for animal nutrition advice. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A Texas quail translocation project is having good success in its second year. 
Gary Jorner tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. Quail translocation was the topic of my recent visit with John Polerski, a graduate student at Tarleton State University. This past March, we kicked off year two of our Erath County quail translocation project. So we actually translocated 236 wild bobwhites from both West and South Texas and moved them to a 2200 acre ranch in Erath County, Texas. And really the goal of this project is to demonstrate that translocation can work to restock um, remnant populations of bobwhite and restored habitat. One of the other questions that we're trying to address is whether or not source population really matters in translocation and what are you know, some of the consequences to reproduction, survival, and dispersal amongst different source populations. Are you using tools of modern technology like uh, Garmin collars and radio telemetry to help make these decisions? Yeah, so we actually fitted 110 bobwhites this past year with VHF radio transmitters. And from these transmitters, we're able to keep up with all of our birds. We monitor them daily. Um, we're able to get uh, location data for them, monitor locations, and from that, uh, find nests too. This is a topic of conversation among wildlife managers and landowners. Can this translocation dynamic work? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that we're trying to figure out. And really, this past year has been quite surprising with uh, some of the positive results we've had with reproduction. Uh, this past year, we found 51 total nests, which is outstanding. Our nest initiation rates, which we define as the uh, number of hens alive on May 1st divided by the total number of nests we find, has been about one, which is very, very good. And uh, our nest success has even been above average. It's been just slightly over 40%, which is very good. We've seen some birds nesting two, even three times. That's John Polerski of Tarleton State University. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Gary Joyner. The cattle complex traded both sides of the market today. We ended up closing with live cattle mostly higher, feeder cattle mostly lower. We'll take a closer look at all the livestock, grain, cotton, and energy markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. We saw a mixed trade in the cattle markets today. Live cattle closing mixed. Feeder cattle mostly on the lower side of the market. We closed with October live cattle down 37, 106.72. December live cattle up 37, 111.95. The February up 22 at 116.25. October feeder cattle down $1.27, 142.42. November feeders down 60 cents at 143.52. Over in the cash-fed cattle market, we did see a few sales, very light trade in Iowa. Just a couple hundred head reported at 103. Most of the feedlots holding on to higher asking prices. They're asking 105 this week. The show lists are smaller this week, but we're still looking at fairly heavy weights on these cattle. Boxed beef lower, choice cut out down $1.12 at 216.09. The select down $1.48, 206.28. 
Checking a couple of feeder cattle auctions. We'll go to East Texas first. East Texas Livestock in Crockett sold 2,527 head yesterday. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.68 to $2.02. Three to four weights, $1.63 to $1.87. Four to 500 pound steers, $1.41 to $1.82. Five to six weight steers, $1.34 to $1.73. Six to seven weights brought $1.27 to $1.52. With seven to 800 pound steers bringing $1.16 to $1.43 a pound. Slaughter cows, 44 to 68 cents. Bulls brought 78 to 94 cents. Stocker cows, $7.90 to $13.25 a head. Lubbock Stockyards up in Lubbock sold yesterday. They had three to four weight steers bringing $1.45 to $1.55. Four to five weight steers, $1.40 to $1.60. Five to six weight steers, $1.25 to $1.45 a pound. Six to seven hundred pounders, $1.20 to $1.32. With seven to eight weight steers bringing $1.20 to $1.25. Slaughter cows, 40 to 63 cents. Slaughter bulls, 75 to 92 cents. Cow-calf pairs brought 700 to 1100 a pair. Back over to the futures board, we'll check the hog market, where we saw lower prices. October lean hogs down 47, 65, 22. December lean hogs down $1.7, 61.97. October class 3 milk up 24 cents, 18.91 a hundredweight. The cotton market closed lower today. We actually traded both sides of the market throughout the trading day. Traders kind of on the fence right now, wondering what effect Hurricane Sally is going to have on the southeastern cotton crop. That hurricane making landfall expected to pour out lots of rain and a lot of wind across Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. On Monday, USDA reported that about 50% of the bowls are open in those states, meaning we've got a lot of cotton out there that is vulnerable to yield loss because of all the wind and rain. We close with October cotton down 42 points, 64.97. December down 7, closing at 66.37. Corn and wheat both higher, mainly getting support, spillover support from the soybean market. China buying lots of U.S. soybeans right now. That caused some big gains in the bean market. That spilled over into the corn and wheat trade. We close with December, Kansas City wheat up 7, 4.75 a bushel. New crop July wheat up six and a quarter at an even five dollars a bushel. Corn closing higher, December corn up five and three quarters, three seventy-one and three quarters. In the energy markets, October natural gas down ten cents, two twenty-five. October crude oil up a dollar eighty-five, trading at forty thirteen a barrel. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for sticking with us. As I always say, be sure to hit that subscribe button. That way it'll download automatically and you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating or a review. We'll be right back here tomorrow with all the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.